You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Yeah, so we are continuing in this series, Unfathomable, uh, where we're looking at the names and the attributes and the character of God. And this week, I have been tasked with tackling the topic of God's omnipresence. So we're going to look at this attribute of God, that He is omnipresent. And I'm going to jump right in so we can get rolling. The simple definition, the simple answer to what is omnipresence, what is God's uh, omnipresence, is this. God is present everywhere, all at once. Everybody got it? Some of you aren't saying anything. I get it. It's hard to fathom. I totally understand. Right? God is present everywhere, all at once. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God says this, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. So I'm going to move from that simple definition into a less simple one. Let me read this for you. This is from John Frame. He says this, Omnipresence is God's characteristic of being present to all ranges of both time and space. Although God is present in all time and space, God is not locally limited to any time or space. God is everywhere and in every now. No molecule or atomic particle is so small that God is not fully present to it, and no galaxy so vast that God does not circumscribe it. Everybody got it? Me neither. Let's keep going. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this, God dwells in his creation and is everywhere indivisibly present in all his works. He is transcendent above all his works, even while he is imminent within them. Any better? So we're tackling this topic of God's omnipresence. And this is a big idea. And if you're like me, as you read these quotes and consider the omnipresent, the ever-present nature of God, your mind probably goes where mine does, which is kind of a... uh, What? What? And that's a good place to start. The reason we're walking through this series is because we want to fix our eyes on the God who has created us, who loves us, who's walking with us. And as we consider his nature, there will be times where we are left in this place of just simply, oh, okay, wow. I almost can't even fully fathom this concept and this idea, but... I'm going to ask a question. If I were to give you a quiz on doctrine and the question popped up that said, do you believe that God is omnipresent? What would you answer? Yes, no, or maybe? Yes. Some of you are like, now I'm maybe still. I don't know. Uh, Right? You'd probably say yes. Like most of us in this room, when we talk about this doctrine and consider that God is everywhere all at once, we're like, yeah, okay. I can't fully fathom it. But I can't agree with it. So I'll check the box and I'll say, yes, I believe God is omnipresent. So I have an agenda this morning. We're going to talk about the omnipresence of God. But what I really want to talk about is the ever-presence of God with you and with me. Because if, if we were honest, I think most of us in the room, 
can, again, we'll check the box, believe the doctrine, God's everywhere all at once. But I think at times we struggle with the idea of God being present with us. Or maybe it's just me. I know I wrestle with that. Why is that? Well, I think it's because we tend to believe three lies about the presence of God with us. And so I'm going to give these to us right up front. The first one is this. We believe we're unworthy. Anybody else ever been trapped in this cycle or dealing with some sin? And in those moments when you fail and you fall short, you don't feel the presence of God. You don't have to raise your hands. But if you've been there, maybe you understand this lie. They will think, okay, yeah, God is everywhere all at once, but, but he's probably not too close to me because I'm pretty dirty right now. So I'm sure he's somewhere off over there. Or two, we believe we're unimportant. I actually, this last week on Facebook, a friend of mine from Oklahoma just posted this kind of random thing about stuff going on in the world and literally said, yeah, I, you know, I, I try to pray, but I just feel like God's probably really busy because there's a lot of big stuff going on in the world. So I don't know if he's really near me and listening to me. Anybody ever felt that? Ah, oh, God, if you're, if you're there, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm sure you're off dealing with something in a foreign nation or whatever it may be. Or three, we believe we're uninteresting. Again, maybe it's just me. You guys are all exciting and important and worthy, right? But there are times where I just feel like my life is so boring and so mundane, and so I don't always feel the presence of God with me. Now, what's the issue here? What's the common denominator in all three of these things? that are now gone. Now they're back. <laughs> Who's the object here? We. We. We believe we are unworthy. We are unimportant. We are uninteresting. So why is this series so important? Because we tend to drift into believing lies when our eyes are taken off of the reality of who our creator is who he's called himself, who he claims to be, and we start to look around at our own circumstances and we become the hero of our stories. See, I believe the truth of God's ever-present nature is one of the most impactful and power, powerful things we can ever really fully come to grips with about God. And I think it impacts everything about our life, about the identity that we claim to have, about our lives on mission following after Jesus. And so I want to talk about God's ever-present nature, but really, I want to talk about this morning, God being with you. And yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you, every single person in this room. If you know Jesus, if you call him Savior and Lord, the presence of God is with you. And so where, where I want to start, we actually, in D-School uh, here recently, we were... I won't say forced, we had the privilege of. Uh, we memorized passages of scripture every month. Michelle, I, I loved it, all right? That's, I, it was, we were not forced. We were, uh, I mean, we have to, but um, we, we got to memorize this passage of scripture. And so um, we're gonna dissect a little bit of Psalm chapter 139 here in just a bit. But where I wanna start, um, we've been talking in D-School about tons of different things, but one of them is just the power of the word of God. They're like, when we really submit ourselves and put ourselves under the authority of the word of God, things happen. That God speaks to us, that the living word of God, the scriptures, he's still speaking through them. And so we were tasked with memorizing Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 through 16. And this is going to be a little test because I didn't put anything on the screen. Um, but if you have a Bible and you'd like to pull that out, uh, if you're watching online, pull this out. What I want us to do to start this morning 
is I'm going to simply speak this passage of Scripture over you. And however you can receive it best, if you need to open up the Bible and look at it, if you just want to close your eyes and hear it, as I pray this, I want you in your heart to be praying this yourself as well. And then we're going to dissect this beautiful passage of Scripture and talk about what does it mean for God to be with us. So if you would, prepare yourself however you need to. Close your eyes, look to the Scriptures, whatever you need to do. We're going to dive in this morning. Oh Lord... You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, all the days that were formed for me. When is that? Yet there was none of them. Father, This morning we come before you confessing that we often forget that you are with us, that you love us, that you walk with us, that you draw near to us. And this morning, Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your children through your word and through your spirit, that we would be so encouraged and overflowing with the love you have for us and that it would impact us so greatly that we would leave this place empowered to chase after you and follow you in mission in everything that we do, knowing that you're with us, that you're fighting for us, that you're transforming us, that you go before, you make a way, you walk with us and you come behind us and you continue to work wonders. Father, may we cling to this truth, believe it, and may it change us so that we would leave this place looking more like your son Jesus than when we came in. That's our prayer. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I close my eyes. I open them. I'm like way back here. I don't even know how that. Probably an inner ear problem or something like that. All right. Hey, so we're going to dissect this. I'm not going to go through every verse of that passage. We're just going to stick in verses 1 through 6 because there's plenty there. So we're going to dive into this. Uh, They'll be on the screen as well if you want to follow along that way. Verses 1 and the first half of 2 Start this way. O Lord, 
You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. And I just want to pause here already. We've got to stop for a moment. So David is writing this psalm and he says, Oh, Jehovah. Oh, Yahuwah. Oh, Yahweh. You know me. You search me and know me. And there's a sermon in here just about the name that he uses here. But we've covered some of that. I don't have time to dive into that this morning. But what I want to point out, what David is saying is that the eternal God, the unchanging God, the good and perfect Father, the sovereign King of heaven, the Lord of all things, searches us and knows us. We're going to do a little bit of Hebrew this morning because I think it's just so beautiful. And the word here for search, uh, search us out is this verb, hacher. Hacher. Can you say that with me? Like hawk hair. Hacher. Okay. <clears throat> Got to move on here. Uh, and this verb implies this investigative property, right? Like someone is literally trying to do whatever they can to learn as much as they can about the object of the searching out. I've been married nearly 14 years, correct? Yes. Just did the math. <clears throat> and I still feel like I know my wife at like a I don't know, maybe like a 22.5% click or something like that. I don't know. That's probably generous. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but one of the things that you do when you love someone, hopefully, is that as you're walking in relationship with them, what do you want to do? You want to get to know them more and more and more, correct? You want to learn what makes them tick. We have entire movements and things and love languages and personality tests and all this stuff. And when you're in a relationship, you're like, ooh, what number are you? What thing are you? What are you on the Myers-Briggs? What are you? And I'm not making any statements about any of those things. So, Pastor Rob, I didn't support or condone none of that. But we, we want to find out what we can about the object of our affection. Why? Because we love them. We want to know everything we can about them. We search them out. Do you see where I'm going with this? What is David saying here in verse 1? Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now here's what's mind-blowing about that. Does God already know everything about us? I mean, yeah. And yet, the sovereign king of heaven draws near and watches and observes and examines and it brings his heart such joy to watch as you walk throughout your days. Now I know some of you are like, nah, not me because I'm unworthy, I'm uninteresting, right? I'm unimportant. No, hear me. The word of God didn't say, well, maybe sometimes if you're really cool like David. No, the word of God is speaking to us today. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Already I pray that the word of God is doing something in your heart and mind. You. He has searched you. He investigates. He watches. He loves you so much that he continues to walk with you. He desires to know us. And I love that David says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, hmm? sit in the chair, get out of the chair. Woohoo! Exciting stuff, right? God's there. He's watching. He sees. Some of you are starting to feel like a little bit of, oh, like when I'm driving as well. Uh-oh, that's me. Uh, I don't know, he's, he's with you. Number one, there's not a moment that God isn't with us. There is not a moment that God isn't with us. 
C.S. Lewis says this, It is well to have specifically holy places and things and days, for without these focal points or reminders, the belief that all is holy and big with God will soon dwindle into a mere sentiment. But if these holy places, things, and days cease to remind us, if they obliterate our awareness that all ground is holy and every bush could we but perceive it a burning bush, then the hallows begin to do harm. What's Lewis saying here? Man, if we, if we act like the big events and the big moments and the big celebrations are the only places that God presence, God's presence is with us, then we're missing the point. When we come together in a place like this, it should be to remind us that, yes, God is here and he does something unique when his people are gathered together corporately under his word as they're worshiping him full of the spirit. Yes and amen. But our goal here this morning, my goal for you here this morning is to recognize that his presence is here with you in this moment the same way it will be with you in the morning when you wake up and it's Monday and you haven't brushed your hair and your breath stinks and you got to go to work. He's still with you. There is not a moment that God isn't with us. Now the implications here are many, but we got to keep going. That's just verse one. Verse two says this, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. We're just going to leave this verse at Whoa. All right. Verse three says this. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Now, this seems a little bit repetitive at first glance. Right. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you search out my path and my lying down. So sitting down, standing up and laying down. All right. We covered the bases now. Unless you're upside down, he'll be there too. Uh, but <laughs> this just sounds a little repetitive, but the verb here uh, is actually, if you look in the King James, it says, thou compassest my path. Thou compassest, which is actually a better translation because we heard search in verse one. Now we've heard search out. This is actually a different verb. Some more Hebrew this morning. And this word is zara. Everybody say that one with me. I'm just biding time because my teeth are starting to chatter a little bit up here. Zara. And this verb means to scrutinize and to scatter. There's two definitions, to scrutinize and to scatter. And I love in these two definitions, David is giving us a picture of how the omnipresence and the omniscience and sovereignty of God coexist in a way that's kind of impossible for our minds to even comprehend. So you've got this scrutinizing idea, which means to examine or inspect closely, and then scatter, which we kind of understand, but I want us to be careful we don't think that God's like doing 52-card pickup with our lives. Like, well, I've got a bunch of stuff here and a bunch of different things that could take place. Hey, Steve, let's just see what happens. You know, and then we'll see how this lands. Now, this is more like, like breadcrumbs, right? Like carefully placing, carefully, intentionally, watching and observing... And also laying out the path. Now, this is one of those moments, again, it should just draw us to, whoa. <laughs> I have a hard time even fathoming. So wait, he, he like lays out my path and lays out the way for me to go. And then he watches and like it brings him joy to even watch as I, I don't even, I don't get this. Amen. That's where, that, that's where worship comes in. When we come to something with the Lord where we go, I hear you and I get it, but I don't get it. What do I do here? Wow, God, that is so amazing. This draws me to worship you, which we'll get to here in just a bit. See, David is painting this picture of a God who is present and observing and examining the choices we make throughout our lives and where he's actively involved in laying out the path for us to take throughout our lives as well. There's a lot there, but at least to number two. It says this, 
or I say this, I don't know why I said says this, there is not a moment in our lives that God counts as insignificant. There is not a moment in our lives that God counts as insignificant. J.I. Packer says this, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator. Is this warm? Ooh, yeah, hallelujah. Everybody take a moment, take a picture of that slide if you need to. I saw that. I'm just going to dunk my fingers in it. It's coffee. I won't actually do that. Thank you, Miss Lauren. Whew. What did I just say? Yeah, look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> I need some more caffeine. I love that quote. Like living, just living out life becomes an awesome business. Man, Lord, I pray that you would help me to think about the fact that you're with me in every moment and that I would be overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord that would be spilling out of me where I live like this. Where it's just like, man, that guy, he's just happy to be alive. I've literally said that about people. I'm like, man, this guy's just happy to be here. I like this guy. I love this guy. There's something about them and the joy that pours out of them. And I love this. This should lead us to have that kind of joy that God's with us everywhere we go. Like, he doesn't think anything is insignificant. You may be thinking, I mean, you don't know about how boring my life can be. Well, what this reminds me of is uh, my wife and I have five children. And I remember, sort of, the infancy stage. You don't really remember much because you're just kind of in a state of perpetual fatigue and you just kind of kind of fall through everything, right? But uh, I, mean, I remember this stage when our babies were infants where it was like every single moment mattered, right? Every moment. They're born and you're just holding them and you're like, you hear them cry for the first time and that matters and their first Bowel movement. Anybody get to change that black tar diaper? I did every time. Thanks, Sadie. Just kidding. She did a lot of work. She's going to kill me after this. She did all the work. Uh, <laughs> right. Every moment matters when you bring them home. Like, you don't just kind of toss them over somewhere and go, all right, well, I'll see you in a week or so. No. Every single moment matters. Even their sleep. You're watching and seeing how much are they getting. And sometimes uh, you're like checking. Are they breathing? You know, like what's going on? Uh, we brought a foster baby home one time from the ICU. She came with oxygen and she had this monitor on that if she stopped breathing for a second, it was like your alarm went off on your house system. So we'd be lying in bed and, oh gosh, you know, go over. It was just, didn't read her for a second, you know? But that's how it is when you have a newborn. There's not an insignificant moment. Every moment matters. Everything they do. And I think about that and I'm like, uh, I can't really fathom how God would think that there's not insignificant moment, uh, moments in my life. And I think, well, I, I remember what it was like when I had children and I'm not a perfect father. I, I don't love my kids near as much as God the Father loves me. And he cares about every moment in my life. Man, what would change about our lives if we thought of God this way? That he's actually with us and he cares and he thinks every moment matters. Every moment. I skipped all that. We're going to go to verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4 says this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Um, it's another one that might make some of us go a little bit, you know. Uh, but if I could be honest, this is kind of a sidebar. But when I read a verse like this, sometimes for me, I'm kind of a I'm a type A. I like to investigate and scrutinize a little bit and question. And I'm like, well, if that's true, why do I need to like worship God or 
or say I love you to the Lord, right? It's like, well, he already knows what I'm thinking before a word is even on my tongue. He, he knows what I'm going to say. And I'm like, I don't, this one's weird to me. And, and this is another point where uh, I think about my kids again. I get a lot, basically, my kids are my sermon illustrations. I have a lot of them, so it tends to work out that way. But uh, how many in the room have met my son, Josiah? Just raise your hand. So Josiah's nickname, we've called him Little Barnabas. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Barnabas in the scriptures, he was known as the great encourager. And Josiah, uh, my son, I love him dearly. There's just something about the kid. Like he just, he's always worried about how you're feeling. Don't look at me, Sadie. Oop. He's, he'll, he'll like go up to you and you just, when he walks in a room, you know he loves you. You know he cares, right? And there's just something about it. And, and I was thinking about this verse and I was like, I don't even, like how do, I, how do I fathom this and thinking about God's presence and my worship of him and my love for him and why does this matter to him what I say? So he does this thing. That he will, uh, he'll come up, go this way. Okay, I'm going to look at you because you don't make me cry, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, just kidding. Um, he'll do this thing where he'll like come up in the middle of whatever, and he'll just tap me or he'll say, hey, dad. And he does this every time. He'll kind of cock his head to the side and he starts doing this, this little number. He's just kind of looking at me like this. And I know what he's about to say. I know what's going to come out of his mouth. He does it all the time. Like sometimes when it's really inconvenient, we're in the middle of stuff. I'm like, bro, come on now. Just kidding. Again, I love it. He says, Dad, I love you. And he, he literally just out of the blue, or he'll come up and, Dad, I'm so glad you're my dad. Like the, the Lord just knew that I had to have this in my life. Like I don't know that we would have made it in our lives and through we've walked through what we've walked through in the past uh, however many eight years of ministry if God did not place that little man in our house. So many times he just speaks these words of encouragement. Now let me, let me ask you, like, I know what he's about to say. But do you think it doesn't do my heart so much good to hear him say it? Man, it just warms my heart and stirs my affections. And honestly, sometimes changes everything about my perspective and my day for me. Man, it's just amazing to think about. But I, again, I'm thinking, the Lord, okay, he knows what I'm going to say. So why do we need to... Because again, it brings our Father so much joy when we praise Him, when we tell Him we love Him. It's again, this idea of he, he knows all and yet He relationally draws near to us. It just kind of blows my mind. That has nothing to do with my sermon. So we're going to get back to verse 5. Because I'm watching my clock. It's dwindling. Verse 5 says this, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. We're going to camp here for a little bit. Uh, I didn't mean for today to be a big Hebrew lesson, but the Hebrew here is so beautiful. And first, lay your hand upon me. I just want to point out, it's not like he's like, like smashing us, right? That's kind of what we think, lay your hand on me. Think about, flip that hand over. All right, it's more like this protective, carrying, protecting, surrounding thing. But I want, to, I want to key in on this, you hem me in behind and before. And in the Hebrew, it's this. You say it with me. Tzor, achor, kerem. Sor, ahor, kerem. You hem me in behind and before. And so I'm going to walk through what these three terms mean because I think it's going to help us so much this morning in understanding God's presence with us and the power that that brings to our lives. And the first one is sur, and that means you besiege. And that's picture, you're in the center of this military encirclement. You are literally surrounded by an army. Now you think about God is called the, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of heaven's hosts, right? You're planted firmly in the center of that. That's what David is saying. 
You hem me in. You besiege me. It's like I'm surrounded with the presence of God and the power of God. Now let's keep going. Ahor, and I got to read this off the screen because my notes are wrong, means behind, but also from ancient time, eternity past, and also west, but not just like over there, but as far west as you can go. So I'm encircled. His presence is protecting me. He's fighting for me. He's surrounded me from eternity past all the way that way behind me. And you could probably guess what the next one's going to be. Kedem means in front, all time that lays ahead and as far east as you can go. So when you go east and when you go west, we live in a spherical planet. What ends up happening? (laughs) You end up coming right back around all the way. In front of me, behind me, all around me. So far, my prayer as we've been considering this is that your heart would be encouraged. He's with you. He is with you. Moments that you think don't matter, he is with you. The moments when you're suffering, he is with you. The moments that you count as insignificant, he is with you. The moments you feel unworthy, he is with you. Children of God, may we live this awesome life of joy, recognizing that we go throughout our lives and the presence of God is within us. And the promise is that he would never leave us nor forsake us. But, but I would hope that our, now our focus starts to shift. So we're, yes, we're children of God and he's with us. Now think about what this means for our lives as children of God, sent ones of Jesus, sent to be ambassadors, sent to be on mission, to see darkness pushed back with the light of Jesus Christ. What should this mean? That when I go throughout my day, he's with me, but also... The host of heaven's armies is encircling me. He's protecting me. That he's gone before me and he's been working and moving before I step into a room. That he's with me when I walk into that space and I'm doing whatever he's called me to do. And that when I leave it, he's going to be behind me continuing to work. Think about it. If we had this kind of mindset about the presence of God, what would that change? That's the answer. It's actually in my notes. Amen. Everything. This would change everything. Every step you've taken in your life, you've been encircled by the presence and power of God. Which brings us to number three. God's presence with us protects, provides, and empowers. I have to share this story because it was just it was a lot of fun. Another D school story. We had our uh, our outreach whenever that was, was it last week or whenever it was. It was me and Tanya and uh, Logan. See you over there. Hey, buddy. How are you? <coughs> Nashley. She's over here. Hey. So we uh, we get some training and it was amazing. Lauren and Michelle and Noah do a phenomenal job leading the D school. If you're not in it this year, be in it next year change your life. And so we received some amazing training and just uh, pr- preparation for going out and just honestly just going out and following Jesus and seeing what he had for us. And then we, we get in the car and uh, we get in the car and we're sitting there in a little Nissan Versa. My little guy, we're just praying. All right, Lord, uh, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? And we had read a couple of really amazing stories about how God had moved in the book of Acts and other places. And so we're sitting there praying and Logan Russell goes, ah, I think we should go to a park. I feel like the Lord's saying park. I was like, sounds like a cop-out, but we'll, we'll see. Just kidding. It's amazing. 
then Tanya said, I feel like the Lord's saying to do something tangible. And me and Ashley were kind of like, all right, well, we're here and we're going to listen and we're going to go. And so we drive down uh, Hillside South and we come to Lincoln and Hillside and we were, Logan heard parks. We're like, all right, Lord wants us to go to a park. So we go to a park and we're driving by and there's one guy in the whole park standing outside of his car. It's parked really funny. Um, didn't know what he was doing in front of some tennis courts. But I was like, well, let's circle around and see. You know, we'll just kind of see. So we go past him. And then we drive on this. It's one full block at, what's that park name? Hillside and Oliver. I don't know what it's called. Anybody know? Schweider. <clears throat> yeah, it's Hebrew. Schweider Park. Uh, anyways, and so we, we've circled the whole way. There's nobody else to park. So we're like, well, if the Lord said park, it's probably that guy. I don't know. So we pull around, and then we park right in front of him. So he's, he's parked here, and we pull up right here. And so it's just four of us sitting in a car looking at this guy, and he's kind of looking at us and not waving. And, uh, and so we're sitting there for a minute, and we're praying, and I'm like, uh, what, what do we do? And they're like, you should go. I'm like, I'll just go. Okay, I'll go. So I go out to talk to him, and long story, very short, go over. Guy's name is Don. You get to talk to him and pray for him. And we don't know what he was doing there, but it was kind of weird. And then when we left, he drove away. Another van pulls in. We have no clue what was going on. But here's the reason I tell that story. God was doing something because when I walked up to this man and I said, whatever I said, hey, I'm Randy. Don't be alarmed. We're not going to jump you. Uh, just felt like the Lord wanted us to come talk to you. And so anything I can pray for you about or whatever. And he just, whew, he's been dealing with, he didn't know how he's going to provide. He's got grandkids and he's been just having all this stuff going on in his life. And he starts laying all this out. And he's like, I just don't really know what to do. And I was like, well, is there anything I can do for you? I can pray for you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he like throws his hands out. Yeah, pray for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, and so <laughs> pray for him and just talk to him. And he jumps up and he gives me a hug and then he drives off. And then we leave and we went to Dylan's and Tanya was able to tangibly provide for somebody. We went to a bunch of other parks and there was literally nobody at any parks that day. I was like, Don, that's who the Lord had us to meet with. And, and here's why I share that. Is in that moment, we had prayed during our training, specifically, Lord, wherever we're going, we pray that your spirit's already speaking and he's already moving. Because we don't want to show up and it just be us. We want to go to the place that God is already moving and working. And then we show up and God does something in that exchange, and then we leave and we move on, and I'm praying and I know that the Spirit did something with that. Now I share all of that just to say, this is what our lives should look like. And this is something we did because we were told to, again, but we were told to because we're being trained for, this is what life could just look like. Like, and, and I was encouraged and I was challenged. How come I don't just do this on a day-to-day -day basis? Hey Lord, you got somebody you want me to love today? Show them, show me, and then call Logan. Hey, man, you got any words? Where, where should I go today? He'll probably tell me where to go. And then call Tanya, and she'll tell me what to do, right? We've got each other and, as well. But, but this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, that we're not going in our own power, in our own strength, that God is actually moving all throughout the earth. He is omnipresent. His spirit is at work everywhere, and he invites us to step in, and we step in with him. We step in with his presence that's filling us. We step in with the power of God poured out upon us to do his purposes. That should change everything. everything. Thank you, Tyson. All right, now I'm going to run because all this is great, but I'm that person who likes to go, well, hold on. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions that maybe, maybe you're thinking. The first one is why don't we experience his presence? If this is all true, what's up with my experience 
of God's presence. Why don't I always feel his presence? So we've established the Lord is everywhere, all at once. He's with us. He knows us. He walks with us. The word of God says it's true. But why is it that there are times that we do not experience his presence with us? Again, anybody ever dealt with that? Feeling alone, isolated, wrestling with, where are you, Lord? Anybody felt that? I love that the psalmist who wrote, God, my God, why have you forsaken me, also wrote Psalm 139. I love David because I just feel like him most days. I'm like, man, this is an amazing day, Lord. You're so awesome. I wake up, I'm like, oh, where are you? I got my gout. It's hitting me this morning. It happens so quickly. Well, the New Testament uses this term fellowship that I think really, really helps us to understand this disconnect in the truth of God's presence and our experience sometimes where we're wrestling with feeling his presence. And fellowship is this two-sided interactive relationship where each party receives mutual benefit from the interaction, this koinonia. You've probably heard that from the New Testament. It's this multiple parties mutually benefiting, loving, encouraging one another. It's an experience of relationship. And I think what happens at times is when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we can start to really overcomplicate it. And we start to like, oh, wait a second, I don't, I don't feel him, I don't know what to do here. And so we panic ourselves sometimes into believing lies or not moving when we know we should move, whatever it may be. But I think the Lord made us in his image and put us in community with people to help us understand concepts about himself, which I think is beautiful. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible for two people to be in each other's presence and not experience fellowship? Is that possible? Yeah, we know that, especially in our culture that we live in. We totally understand that. You can be sitting in a room with someone and completely ignore them, or they completely ignore you. Or you're literally in the middle of telling your dad an amazing story, and you hear, <laughs> love you, dad. You look over and just totally pass out. This is not fellowship. I am not feeling fellowshipped in this moment. <clears throat> or you sit down to dinner at a restaurant, and the phone comes out, and you can't get a second of eye contact and relational engagement. See, in a two-sided interaction that's leading to fellowship, which is experiential benefit of presence and relationship, it means both parties are engaging and stepping towards one another. Perhaps in physical proximity, but more so just in conscious engagement, eye contact, verbal communication, physical affection, whatever it may be. So why is it if the word of God says we are encircled by the presence of God, he searches us and examines us, walks with us, opens doors for us, comes in behind us, that we don't experience that type of fellowship with him? I think the answer is usually way more simple than we want to make it out to be. We're probably not engaging him. You may say, I hear about hearing the voice of God, but I, I just can't. I sit and I wait and I'm struggling and I feel distant. If you have a smartphone, you could download the version app, or maybe you have an old paper version, where you can open it up and he is alive and active and speaking constantly. If you want to hear his voice and you're wrestling with hearing the intuitive voice of God, that's something we can work on together. But open up the written, revealed word of God that's living and active, and you can hear him speaking. He's constantly pursuing us, but we may be walking in unconfessed sin, leading to shame and self-condemnation, and we've locked ourselves in a closet of our own making. 
See, our fellowship with God is not impacted by a lack of God's presence with us, but by our blindness to the reality of that truth. If you don't feel it, your feelings are lying to you. You hear me? If you don't feel his presence, if you're not experiencing his presence, let me just tell you, tell your feelings. What was it Bob said when he gave us our word? Uh-uh! That was, wow, way too sassy. <laughs> tell your feelings. That's nonsense. That is garbage. I know what the word of God says, so I need to engage. I don't know what's causing it in this moment right now, but there's something busted here. I know God has not abandoned me. He said he wouldn't ever do that, so something's up on my end. I need to engage. I've got to do something here. And I think 1 John, which I come back to every time I preach, and I'm going to keep doing it probably every time. It's so helpful. 1 John 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to read it quickly. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him... And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In this beautiful verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what's the reality for those of us who are children of God? We have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Amen? This is the spiritual reality that we hold fast to based on the truth of the word of God. So here's what I would argue. It's not that we don't experience the presence of God because the lights around us have gone out and we can't see him with us. I think we don't experience the presence of God because we shut our eyes. We are not citizens of the kingdom of darkness. It's not the lights are going out. So we close our eyes. We just shut our eyes. Shame from unconfessed sin makes us feel like we're separated from him or it wants us to, uh, just drives us to want to ignore the fact that he's with us. So we close our eyes. We walk through uncertain circumstances or pain or suffering, whatever it may be, and, and the fear and whatever, we shut our eyes so we don't see the fact that he's with us. So what do we do? What do you do? When it looks dark because your eyes are closed, but there's lights on around you. It's a simple answer. Just say it. You know it. Open your eyes. We open our eyes to the reality of what he has told us, to what we know to be true. Ephesians talks about having the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of our inheritance. God's presence with us is not dependent upon our circumstances or our worthiness. But our experience of his presence can be hindered by our own choices to walk in the dark and hide. And one of the things we do in the midst of that is we confess and we repent. And we're going to do that here in just a few. I'm going to ask this question one more time. What should change in our lives based on the reality of his ever presence with us? I should have given you a microphone, Tyson. Everything. God cares about every moment of our lives. Every moment matters to him. He's with you as you do the dishes. As you lay in bed attempting to fall asleep. There's 90% of my evenings. He's with you. As you take a verbal whipping from an angry customer at work. He is 
with you. Can't leave without a Spurgey baby quote. I'm going to read this. Have your heart right with Christ, and he will visit you often. And so turn weekdays into Sundays, meals into sacraments, homes into temples, and earth into heaven. Whoo! Man, that was a Jimmy sound I just made. Jimmy Hudson, that was for you, buddy. Uh, I'm not going to do the dances he does and stuff. I, I uh, used to be a youth pastor. We're not anymore. My knees hurt. It's the gout. <laughs> this should radically change everything about our lives. Like, think about our prayer lives. Think about prayer. Like, even thinking about the fact that he's encircling us and he's with us. That Man, that, that changes our natural mundane engagements to supernatural moments. Maybe you are in a workplace where maybe you work mostly by yourself. And I say, ooh, but you're not by yourself. You get to spend so much intentional time with the Lord, talking to him uh, as you're measuring out to make cuts for trim carpentry. Amen, Steve Simon, right? And you're dealing with all of those things. You can engage with him and, and think about the fact that he is with you and he doesn't waste moments. He's walking with you and, and his power and his presence is with you and providing for you, amen? This should change everything. And it's also to change our, our lives on mission. I thought about this as, you know, as we come together and we, we celebrate and we worship in this place and we think about his presence with us, it's meant to do something in us that, that compels us to go again. Like every time we gather in this place, we go again. We're called to go. Matthew 28, you know it, the Great Commission, to go into all the nations, into all the world. And that verb can be literally translated as you are going. Overseas missions work to work on Monday. As you are going. And what is the empowering element of that commission right there at the end? What is it? And surely I will be with you always. To the very end of the age, the empowering element of our lives on mission for Jesus was always meant to be his presence. And his presence is the very thing he uses to rescue other men and women and kids who are trapped in darkness. His presence, what do I mean? Who does he send to go? All of us. All of us. He sends us. He sends us with his presence, to bring his presence. He sends us as his presence. This should change everything. We are actually sent, the body of Christ, right? We're his bride, the light of the world. Jesus calls us the light of the world. What? How's that possible? Oh, yeah, because he goes with me. He goes with me. So what do we do with all this? Let's get to verse 6. Band, you can go ahead and come up. I love this. Kind of wraps it all up. The omnipresence of God, some of the character traits of God. I don't even know what to do with this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. I don't get it. So what do we do in response? Three things. Three things. We're going to worship we're going to sing. We're going to sing this song about wanting Jesus more than anything that this world has to offer. And I pray that our hearts would be stirred to be singing that in spirit and in truth, that we would really mean it. We're going to worship him because, God, you're so good. I don't get it. I definitely don't deserve your presence. And yet, because of Jesus, you pour it out on me anyways. You care about the mundane and insignificant to me things in my life. You, God, the creator of all things, you care about that? 
That should drive us to worship. So we worship, but then we also, we confess and repent. Some of us, our eyes are shut. Our eyes are shut because we're walking in unconfessed sin. And the thing is, is this is not a shame conversation. The Lord does not invite us into confession and repentance in order to shame us. Shame was taken care of at the cross. Shame's done. That's gone. This room is full of people who are rescued by grace. So if you are here this morning and as we're worshiping and you have unconfessed sin, my charge to you, confess it to the Father, but then also, 1 John, you want to be healed? You want to be cleansed? I hear the voice of Jesus crying out to the man who's been laying paralyzed. Do you want to be healed? Go find somebody. Confess. There's not many people, I won't say anybody in this room, just kidding. There's nobody in this room that I would feel ashamed to go and say, hey, I'm a sinner. Because my expectation that you'd look back at me and say, me too, thank you, Jesus. Let's confess and let's chase after him together. Let's put sin to death because he's worth it. And we want to experience his presence. I want to feel his presence with me. And I want to go empowered to live a life on mission, to see him move and work. I want to see stories of God's power changing lives and see men and women pulled out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That they'll join us in this room and into eternity we'll worship him forever. So let's not walk in unconfessed sin. There's no joy in it. It's lifeless. Confess it and repent. And we do it together. And then three, we obey with faith, trust, and courage. When we go, when we leave this place, we don't go on our own. We go with family and we go with the creator, God, the king of heaven with us, fighting on our behalf.